So, I've been pushing Michael Downs to teach a course for a long time, and now we finally get to do it. Everyone's very excited for this. Mikey, uh, we're all putting our hands together in our minds for you, but of course everyone's muted, so, you know, but welcome to the stage. Uh, let's, how do, you, how do you want to proceed with this? Okay, so I'm gonna start off doing something a little unconventional, but we have to take into consideration what you're referring to this context, which is, I think most of you know this, but some of you probably don't. I am not a professional academic. I've never gone to college. I didn't get a high school diploma. I do have a GED, but I fell in love with philosophy when I was 21, and it's been the center of my life ever since. But getting to teach or write books or anything, that seemed to never be in the cards for me. Uh, it, it just wasn't gonna happen based on my personal economic facticity. I wasn't gonna be able to be a writer or teacher or anything. And it's a long history of how this has come to be, but this is a major deal for me, getting to teach my first course. And I have to start off by giving some thank yous for this, and I'll keep it short because let's be honest, you guys are not here for personal thank yous, but just bear with me for just a second. Because um, I, I really do have to say thank you to some people because this, for a lot of reasons, wasn't supposed to ever happen, but it's happened. So, um, uh, you know, it's funny. Yeah, oh, we're taking a GGET course, but we start off with a fucking Oscars thank you speech. So, but no, number one is Dave McCarricker. This would not have happened in any way without Dave's support ever since I met him. And the, the moment we met, we kind of became inseparable. Um, and Dave's the reason I got motivated to, to do a, a blog, to start doing YouTube. Dave's always been the driving force. I was always comfortable just kind of writing philosophy on my own in a coffee shop and never doing anything with it. And so Dave's the reason this is happening. So the number one thank you goes to Dave for organizing everything. Um, Shucks. Couldn't do anything without Dave here. Oh, um, the other, thank you. I got to give a big thank you to Doug Washer, who was my mentor. I, I didn't go to school, but I took a couple of community college classes in philosophy. Doug was a teacher and he became a mentor to me. Would not, this wouldn't happen without Doug. So love Doug. Uh, I tell my story about Doug in, uh, in an interview we just did with Cadell Last of Philosophy Porters, Philosophy Portal. So if you want to hear this long story about me and Doug, you can go there, um, watch that interview. Um, another big thank you. He's here and I, I feel so privileged to have him here. His, uh, his name's Christian Pointer. He's one of my best friends and he and I met at Doug's um, philosophy class. I was guest lecturing on Kierkegaard and uh, Christian came up afterwards and started in Lacanian theory in its rawest form. And that's that makes this book really special. What's that? Tearing with the negative, so on, you know, all the major ones, right? For whatever reason, I just put it on the back burner. But throughout doing that course, I realized that this is a very, very special text in GJX's body of work because I think even over less than nothing and absolute recoil, these later works that are really, really great theory works, this is maybe where he's the most concise, most unmuddied uh, when it comes to just explaining the basic theory, right? It is very, very precise in how it executes laying out this theory. And as far as early Zizek stuff goes, this is also where there's the most Hegel. And so he does talk about this book as an introduction to Lacan. I mean, this was a course that he gave and it was an introduction to Lacan course, but there's a whole lot of Hegel here that you don't, I mean, Hegel's always present in his work. We know that Zizek is this guy who's who's thinking through Lacanian psychoanalysis and Hegelian dialectics mixed in with the critique of ideology stuff, which you can say is like the Marxist influence here, but Hegel and Lacan are his thinkers. And I think as far as the early stuff goes, this is where you get his Hegelian Lacanian theory in its rawest form. And that's that makes this book really special. Um, a couple a couple things just as far as um, little pieces of advice for studying. Zizek is a really great footnote writer. A lot of times I know that when you're reading a philosophy book, you see a footnote and you're like, okay, I don't want to get sidetracked. But with him, it's often the case that reading the footnote is really worth the time. That sometimes the footnotes are actually better. Like when I'm doing a blog post or something where I'm trying to break down some basic concepts, I find myself quoting his footnotes a lot. So I, I would recommend always going and checking out the footnotes. It'll help. Um, and as far as supplemental reading goes, now 
I've found, because I've done online courses, it's it's the this, the mouth just enjoys talking. It's it does it, it's not about you know. It, I mean, it goes back to breastfeeding. I mean, this is psychoanalysis one on one. But you know, if all you do is deconstruct presuppositions and the concepts of doxa that we've inherited, um, you don't get some unmediated access to the thing itself, right? Um, you do that, you come out the other side of it, you're not going to see enjoyment, right? So the thing is, is uh, Freud in his Beyond the Pleasure Principle discovers something that he doesn't know quite what to do with, and. That's what Lacan kind of does is he takes it into the 20th century, right? And then Zizek has brought it here. Welcome, everybody, to week eight in review. I'm David McCarricker, your host here at The Theory Underground, an operation that is by and for workers, dropouts, and autodidacts who do not belong anywhere. So good to have you all today. What you were listening to as this began was uh, just a couple snippets. I was kind of skipping through the four-hour lecture that happened last night. This four-hour lecture. It wasn't really supposed to be four hours, but it turned into a four-hour lecture uh, because everyone was like, okay, no, like this is this is good. Mikey, at like the three-hour point, was like, okay, look, I can either get into logical time or I can close this thing out. And the the course, you know, the, the, the call started with like 24 people in it. More people joined as it went. And then um, after about three hours, a couple people had to go to bed. And then every half hour or so, a couple people would go to bed. But it finished strong with 16 people still there. There was good energy. It was, a, it was a great time. And the timing of this For They Know Not What They Do course is interesting because this is, once again, a week where Slavoj Žižek is being canceled. And this time, the denunciations are a bit stronger than in the past because, oh, now he's over... You know, people were not unsure about his takes on sexuality and gender and things like this before, but now he's a real transphobe because of this article he put out. That is, um, look in the in this in this conversation yesterday, we decided we're not going to get into this stuff because at the time that everybody wants to talk about culture war, at the time that everybody wants to focus on his takes regarding NATO and uh, all these other issues that people get upset about, we want to focus on the real theory, the real contributions that he's made, like this book. And so Anne and Eamon are both here in the live side of the community and review chat. So welcome to you both. Uh, Eamon actually just signed up for this course today. So welcome, Eamon. But also, before we turn it over to a conversation, right, where we'll, we'll, we'll chat about things like... Uh, I just want to I want to say a couple of things, and uh, though you know, though it is the case that uh, this course is going to be focused on his theoretical work, I do want to say that if if that's such a big problem for anybody, then go elsewhere, go do other stuff, leave us alone. We don't care. We don't want. We're not going to humor it. If you think that that article, which I think it's called "Woke Is Here to Stay," published in Compact, if you think that that's so problematic, just go away. Like. Every university in the country right now exists for you to go have a safe space where you don't have to be challenged and you don't have to think about the real harm that is being done to children who, be, who are being misdiagnosed at places like uh, Telvistock or whatever the fuck it's called, the clinic that just got shut down because so many 
Gay and autistic children are being misdiagnosed as trans and then having operations done to them that are causing irreversible damage. Like people say, oh, well, that's an extreme rarity. That's, that's you know, the, the statistics show that the likelihood of suicide is so much like it's decreased if a child is able to get puberty blockers and, and gender confirming uh, surgeries. And, uh, you know, if there's some truth to that, then that matters and it needs to, needs to happen, right? But at the same time, uh, this kind of, oh, we're so scared of the possibility of some suicides that we're going to rush into diagnosing and then fast-tracking people down a, a track where they get surgeries where they'll, they'll never be able to come back from it. That is not the same thing as, um, like, that issue and, and oh, the, the, the side you take on that issue um, it's not the same thing as saying that trans people are valid, like, or cool. I mean, I think that it's cool. Like, the fact that we're doing bioengineering and body modifications to the extent where we can actually, like, change our psychological, hormonal balances and, and, and experiment with all kinds of new technologies when it comes to these forms of uh, medical interventions, etc. I think it's cool. And, but, but it's cool for adults. And then how children are getting fast-tracked into uh, these things uh, by people who are using them as political pawns, um, that's another issue. The, the medicalization is another issue. The medicalization of therapism and ego psychology is another issue. And then turning the medicalization and commodification of therapism and ego psychology, two things that were already problematic, into oh, you're transphobic if you question that, is insane. And I just will not humor it. If you're not bothered or losing sleep by the fact that there are kids at the age of 15 who, without very many uh, checks or very much talk therapy or very much uh, help in any, really, in, in any other way, uh, way uh, getting their breasts removed because they're being told that that will be the solution to all of their problems that are inherent to split subjectivity if you know anything. Fucking, if that doesn't bother you, the fact that there are kids coming back like a year or two later being like, I want them back, I want my boobs back. And oh shit, now I've got debilitating, crippling fucking like issues plaguing me. Um, and they didn't warn me about these. They didn't tell me that there were going to be serious side effects. And actually, I'm, I'm not less depressed than I was. I'm more depressed than I was. If people are not aware that like, this is being commodified, that there's an, indust an industry involved, if you instead just take the, uh, the axioms and the so-called standards of care by a profit-motivated industry that has commodified the medicalization of ego psychology, which is already a bunk, it's bogus already, and then therapism, which is also problematic, and you turn that into, oh, if you don't have the right position on this, then you're transphobe. How are we supposed to have conversations? How are we even supposed to think? If you're more worried about the fact that someone, if they don't get the treatment, might kill themselves, than the fact that people who do get the treatment then go on and kill themselves. Or want to get their boobs back afterwards. If that, if that doesn't fucking bother you, I just... I don't know what to tell you. We want to focus on theory. We want to focus on philosophy. We want to understand ourselves in the world critically. And this bandwagon bullshit uh, in the culture war industry is not one that we're looking to spend all of our time uh, being distracted by. But when we're putting, you know, we put together this course over the, you know, it took months to put this together. It put, took years to prepare people with the primers for the Zizek 101 playlist and the Season one, the Lacan 101 uh, playlist, took years to put that stuff together. 
And then all of a sudden, people were like, oh, you're transphobic. Oh, because you're doing something with Zizek. I'm sorry. First of all, if he was transphobic, uh, that wouldn't change the fact that we want to understand his theory because his theory and his theory of ideology especially is absolutely essential. You, you, can't, you can't actually want to understand the world or do critical theory or thinking without, uh, you know, tarrying with Zizek's real theory. And these cultural, political interventions that he does are what he calls in the, the introduction to For They Do Not What They Do, the, casualty, uh, the casualties of war, of him basically doing his, you know, trying to apply theory in various ways. But just because he applies it in some way that you disagree with doesn't mean it's the, uh, it's the, that that's what we need to be focusing on, right? It's like Heidegger. Yeah. Oh, I've got fundamental disagreements with him, but I wouldn't have a basis in the conversation or even understand what Foucault or Derrida or any of these other people are doing if I didn't have that basis in Heidegger, right? So you have to have that basis in the intervention. You have to actually think through it and not just come through like, oh, I'm going to pick it apart because I don't like his conclusions, okay? Yeah, of course we'll pick it apart. We'll tear it apart. We'll destroy it later. We'll deconstruct everything. Fuck, of course. But you also have to tarry with the negative and work through the contradictions and think, right? Not just get on these scripted bandwagons. And so I guess I'm a little uh, irritated that uh, the this great theorist is constantly being... Uh, People want to, oh, we dismiss him on the basis of, of a take, right? But then, here's the thing. I disagree with him when it comes to his position on NATO. I disagree with him on a, a variety of things. The reason I don't sit here and do content on here is because they're complex issues outside of my area of expertise. I'm not going to fucking go there. But when it comes to ego psychology and therapism getting medicalized and industrialized, commodified, and... Uh, the kinds of people who say no clapping at the DSA National Convention are the exact same kinds of people saying that to call into question the Tavistock approach or the WPATH standards of care is equal to being a Nazi or equal to being a transphobe when these things are not the same. It's not about like a, a position on trans identity. It's, a, it's about a position on uh, children being highly susceptible and influenceable and suggestible um, being herded down this uh, uncritical fucking uh, pipeline <clears throat> in a way that's actually causing harm. And so what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, I don't normally talk about any of his takes, but I'm talking about this one because I actually stuck my neck out on Instagram and I got a lot of uh, whiplash. And maybe you could say, oh, well, Dave, that's what you get for talking about these issues. The only position that we should take is one of gender nihilism or of indifference or of look the other way. Um, it's kind of hard to look the other way when people are calling you transphobic for teaching a course on before they know not what they do. And then you look into why they're saying it, and it's like Zizek raises a valid concern that anyone in their right mind, that any parent especially, but especially just any regular working class person is going to look at and go, mm, too far, too fast, too much, what's going on here? We don't have the data. We don't have the long-term research results. We already have a bunch of people coming out saying this was a mistake and that they've been harmed and there are lawsuits that are, it's not gonna go away. I think that this is the hinge into a new decade and the whiplash is not going to be pretty and uh, it's in a sort of sense justified because of the excesses of the hypersensitive fucking uh, reactionary wings of the liberal left progressivism thing that then gets uh, uncritically uh, supported and repeated just by normies 
who are Democrats or or something more radical. Like it just gets repeated people because people aren't looking for themselves at the issues that are being talked about. They're just looking at oh, someone who's an influencer who I should trust because of their identity is saying this this man bad or whatever. Okay. So I was going to show a couple of Instagram uh, things for my story just because this is, this is the week in review. This is where I'm supposed to give you the tea on things that have happened publicly that you should know about. And then afterwards, we go to a private call side and talk about some things behind, like it's not online, right? And uh, so I do these every week. This is week eight of Theory Underground. Um, you know, my positions are not representative of everybody's opinions involved, except that I would say that so far it seems like everybody involved would probably say, uh, even if Zizek was uh, a little too... Uh, too hasty or something like that, they would still say, yeah, he's worth reading and stuff. But uh, this is my opinion. My opinion is uh, just no. And so I'm going to pull up the story here. Let's see if I can do a screen share so you guys can all see what I'm talking about. Yeah, let's see. We'll just open the story. So, so why Instagram story? Well, I mean, there's other social medias and I use them, but this is just where uh, I was already catching wind of the cancellation. And so I just put out some basic stuff. And so I shared the link to the article in question called Wokeness is Here to Stay, Slavoj Zizek. And I said, this is the new article he's being called transphobic for. Shake my head. Read it for yourself, people. Okay. Um, and then I say, there is a difference between letting the right do your thinking for you and knowing that sometimes the right gets a monopoly on real issues because the left is unwilling to touch those issues, right? I, I hope that that is clear and not lost on you all. Um, but the point is, is that the left and right in this uh, culture war industry it are both profiting on monopolizing certain basic insights, truths, or feelings that are not acknowledged by the other side. And so when human beings on the ground, regular working people have traumas and serious is issues that they need to talk about, uh, like your son gets killed by the police. Now you have to go where? MSNBC will talk to you. Fox doesn't want to talk to you. Um, but uh, your, your child was talked to by a school counselor whose first suggestion about your depression and anxiety was, well, maybe you're trans got you onto hormone therapy, puberty blockers, put you on track for a surgery, uh, you went through the process, now you regret it, they didn't tell you about the side effects, they didn't warn you about these things, and where do you get to go? Who do you get to talk to? Obviously, well, Fox will bring you on, but the point is, is they both monopolize certain insights. Obviously, the left side has monopolized a basic insight that the right is almost incapable of fathoming, which is that, uh, identity expression and personal autonomy and the way that one chooses to appear or express oneself um, are basic human rights and that not everybody experiences things the same way. And this, you know, girls play with Barbies and guys play with G.I. Joes. Um, men are about, you know, opportunities and competition and women are about uh, nurture and and being mommies. It's fucking bullshit. Obviously, right? Like there's some basis in it, right? They're obviously statistically, like, but there's a lot of wiggle room and there's a lot of ways that people can express themselves and develop and grow. And that's obviously not going to air well on Fox. And so what I'm saying is there are basic insights that are monopolized by the two sides. And that any person who cares about thinking in this day and age ought to be able to look at these issues that are being monopolized and say, okay, there are legitimate on the ground concerns that real working people are dealing with and they have to make sense of these traumas. They have to make sense of these experiences 
and uh, they are being exploited by media industry people who choose to frame it in a certain way, who choose to articulate it in a certain way. People like Tucker, people like Rachel Maddow, people who basically they 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 prey upon the traumas of regular working people. They they frame them and present them in a certain way that is meant to give you a little bit of uh, confirmation bias, make you feel a little bit more secure in your 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 uh, your existence in this world because you're supposedly represented by these quote unquote sides. I just it's it's <sighs> the point is just what I already said. There's a difference between letting the right do your thinking for you and knowing that sometimes the right gets a monopoly on real issues because the left is unwilling to touch those issues. Stop doing right thinking. Stop doing left thinking. So just start thinking right and say what what's the what's the motivation behind uh, the the real people on the ground who aren't just doing this for the reasons that the industry is, the industry that's preying on them, okay? And then I say how, how these issues get framed when appropriated to a politicized agenda is one thing, but the issues themselves are another. And then this is where I really go into it, and this is where I got some backlash. I say the medicalization of therapism and ego psychology in the U.S., which is sidelined talk therapy, actual theory, and psychoanalysis by prioritizing lifelong altering surgeries and pharmaceutical subscriptions sold as grand solutions for liberation is a real issue. How those issues get articulated or framed by activists is one thing. The issues themselves are another, right? Denial of the existence of these issues and an inability to think about them for fear of being called a right-winger or some kind of phobe is cowardice or stupidity. Worse, it is complicit in the harm that is being done to children by these industries and their overeager advocates. That's not the same thing as saying anyone who's receiving gender-affirming care is being harmed. But there are people who are saying that I'm saying all children who are being given this gender-affirmative care are being harmed. I'm not saying that. There are misdiagnoses. That's the point. And then people say, oh, well, they're so rare. How do you fucking know? Anyone who says, oh, they're so rare. This is new. I... I do not understand how people don't get this, but the WPATH standards for care, which have been increasingly lowered over the last 20 years, the new level, the new low that they've reached, it's a brand new phenomenon. The extreme uh, explosion as far as uh, people being influenced by TikTok and seeing these, you know, uh, getting your breasts removed, for instance, as a solution to your teenage anxiety. That's not the same thing as, oh, this person is genuinely like in the wrong body or whatever. Like these things are not all to be conflated, but the situations made it so that they are conflated for people and it's terrible. Okay, I'm going to speed through this so we can turn this over to conversation time. Um, uh, this is me talking, so I'm going to start it over. Shit, that was silent. So I think on the Zoom side, Swole and Anne both heard that, but on the uh, internet side, it was silent. Sorry about that, everybody. Let me fix it. And uh, thank you for letting me know in the chat. All right, let's go. If you're not critical of the medicalization of therapism and you're not critical of therapism and you're not critical of how this all gets hijacked by so-called advocacy discourse, and if you don't see the structural issues meet in concerns of uh, concerning like media theory and uh, the ways that the PNC influencer sphere has become basically little freelance foot soldiers for corporate litigation culture bullshit. Like, are you even thinking with us? Like, are you even part of the 21st century? Are you even conscious? Are you even paying attention? Like, just some questions to start asking yourself. Uh, but the people who need to think those things the most aren't going to because they're just blocking me. So, bye-bye.
And then here's where we get to the part with Vosh. Vosh, and actually, Swole, you're the one who shared this to me. Do you want to say anything about it? <clears throat> uh, you got the picture up there, eh? Yeah. I'll I can barely there. see it. There we go. How about that? Vosh says, Zizek's recent anti-trans article was so bad and so dumb that people in my chat were sincerely speculating that it had been ghostwritten or that he had been impersonated. Yeah, the swarm of unthinking fucking people who just echo the dumb talking points that he feeds them as confirmation bi uh, bias uh, or bias confirmation all day long in his seven-hour streams. Um, thought that Zizek was being impersonated. Yeah, no, there's nothing to learn from Zizek. There's, there's not, no, nothing there, folks. Nothing to see here. It's just transphobia. Vosh says, nobody is perfect. And I know Zizek had some dumb views on trans issues, but this was something else. This was like bog standard factory produced reactionary conservatism. Conservatism you'd see in the Daily Wire. Yeah, these are these are two like big news stories that a lot of people were talking about, and they you know they signify they point to a kind of they're examples of a of a greater problem in two different kind of areas. Uh, but they all relate back to you know gender ideology and you know wokeness in general and. Neither of them, there's nothing inherently reactionary in, in pointing out that there's a problem here that, or, or at least that there's, this brings up issues and contradictions in, in how we, how we deal with things. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll nitpick and say, oh, you know, Zizek didn't mention that uh, Bryson took HRT um, after getting arrested. Well, it's like, okay, I don't, nobody cares. Like, how does that change anything? That this this Bryson fellow um, who went on to rape several women in prison started taking HRT um, or or hormone replacement therapy. Um, and again, it was still it, it was after getting arrested. So it you're bringing up something. You're bringing up something that I forgot to bring up. So do you want to elaborate really quick on that? I'm gonna run and get some coffee while you explain the situation because Zizek focused on <clears throat> Tavist. You, you said two things, and Zizek already brought up the one, which was the Tavistock Clinic. It got shut down because it was serially misdiagnosing uh, autistic and gay children as trans. That's not the same thing as saying that there's no such thing as trans children, right? I have to say this over and over again because people keep saying that it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. To say that some children are misdiagnosed because they are suggestible, because they're children, and they're being given like one possibility as far as what, this, what the solution to their problems might be, right? Um, that's not the same thing as saying, yeah, there's probably there's actual trans children. I said probably, but there's probably actual actual trans children that exist. Like we obviously know that there are little boys or at least people assigned boy, whatever, who like to play with dolls and they're, 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 they're feminine and blah, 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 blah. That we can, we can all acknowledge that. But also the point is, is uh, you never know if it's a fucking phase. You just never know with kids. Kids go through phases really fast. And then also if a kid isn't thinking that way and then it's just like, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. What am I going to do? Uh, and they're like, oh, well, have you ever thought that you might be in the wrong body? And the kid starts thinking about it, right? Well, that's suggestibility. It's not necessarily a very scientific, rigorous, falsifiable kind of thing. And then the problem is, is yeah, if it doesn't work out and they have regrets, there's been irreversible, irreversible changes made in some cases. And that's what these lawsuits relate to. Okay. So that's the Tavistock Clinic. That's a really big news story. What was the other news story? Go ahead and start from the beginning because you were saying stuff that I didn't even know about, but I'll be right back. Um, so the, the other item that Zizek mentions in his article is uh, the case of 
uh, someone named Bryson, who I believe was uh, charged with rape, or I actually don't remember the, the initial charge right now. I don't have the article in front of me. Um, and directly after after their arrest and their charge, um, they switched genders, decided to switch genders. I, I don't know. Um, and so they, you know, declared they were they were a woman st and started taking uh, uh, hormones. And I guess Zizek neglected to mention this part that they started to take hormones um, as if this somehow negated the possibility that, you know, this whole whole thing was a, a cynical ploy um, by the by Bryson um, or 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 was just somehow, um, you know, he was just taking advantage of uh, of a system to get kind of a, a better deal in a, in a women's prison instead of a men's prison. Um, you're less likely to get murdered um, if you're a convicted rapist uh, in a in a women's prison than a men's prison. So there's 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 reasons why you know to suspect that this may be a disingenuous uh, move on on their part. And right. Uh, so Bryson. Um, so yeah, basically Zizek was just uh, talking about how the system is primed to just. I'll, just say okay to uh, anyone's, uh, you know, supposed sex or gender change um, without really consideration of the possible consequences. And in this case, the consequences were uh, the rape of more women in prison. Right. And there's been cases in the past where the right wing is talking about this, this kind of stuff that does happen. And then the, the typical like uh, loudest sections of the anti-turf, you know, activists left. Um, and I, I, I frame it that way because it's not that they're just pro-trans. It's that they're so anti-trans, they usually, or so anti-turf, that they usually actually undermine, I would say, the safety of trans people, right? Right. I, I, I genuinely believe that the kinds of virulent harassment campaigns led by the people who are in the communities of folks like Thoughtslime and Vosh um, cause react, you know, cause reaction. And I don't just mean like cause people to become reactionaries, but I actually think it like, it, it can, it can cause stupid people to conflate or confuse, um, genuine concerns over freedom and, you know, adult humans making choices about their bodies, conflating that stuff with these people who I don't believe they actually care or think about children in any real way. They just, they have a political mission and they're they're on this this uh, this path. So really quick though, um, yeah, thanks for elaborating on that. Uh, so Anne has a hand up. What's up, Anne? What's up? Um, I think like so I've been I've been doing my research over here on this subject because it's it's deeply interesting to me as to kind of what's going on culturally and, and how this all is being talked about. So I've been watching, you know, like cringy conservatives talk about it. And I've been watching interviews with trans activists and I've been watching documentaries and, and it's absolutely insane. Like that the people who are promoting this, like are, are they willfully ignorant? I don't know, but they, they always say, Oh yeah, these hormone blockers are completely reversible as if if we actually have the data to prove that they say i like one documentary that i watched the questioner had asked it said okay so like was talking to um a professional who prescribes these testosterones and hormone blockers to kids and he said okay so i i see that you're prescribing kids lupron now that's something that is given to like rapists to sterilize them as well I is that true and and she goes 
I don't feel comfortable doing this interview anymore. Like, so they shut it down when they are getting asked these real questions. She then proceeded, he kept asking and she proceeded to go, well, like didn't even deny the fact that it is a, a drug used for sterilization, but then goes on to say, well, the kids need help right now because they're suffering right now. So like, that's the one thing is just like the evasion of questions and just the flat out lie of like every, this all is, is absolutely reversible. I can't name a single person who's detransitioned. Okay, yeah, how about Helena, Michelle, Richie, Laura, Stephen, Grace, Chloe, Cole, Kira, Abel, Rachel, Limpida, Brian, Wagner, David, Arthur, Prisha, Daisy, and Kat. That's just a list from one website that's made a little documentary about these people who have detransitioned. A lot of them have, like, their vocal cords are deepened. They're going to sound, they're, they're women who are going to sound like men forever because of the drugs that they took, and they regret that. Half of these women on this list have had double mastectomies before the age of 18. That's, they can't get that back. They'll never be able to get, you know, the ability to potentially breastfeed or just have like normal natural breasts back. And so for, for, yeah, for some people out there, like this is probably life-saving care when they're an adult, but just like the blatant ignoring and downplaying of like <clears throat> actual facts, actual evidence, actual testimonies, and all of these testimonies just seem to be saying the same things that, oh yeah, I talked to a therapist like for two sessions and they immediately got me prescribed on hormones and puberty blockers. And then people go, where is this happening? Where is this malpractice happening? I don't know anywhere where it's happening. I just named 12 kids that it happened to. So I, it's it, it's just like any, the people on the other side who just are like blindly defending this are just being really disingenuous. And we're already seeing kind of the, the backlash of that and the, and the harm that happens. So I can only imagine, you know, in five to 10 years from now with, you know, like 2022 and 2023 where it's just being pushed as the thing as the issue as the solution like if we're already seeing this right now i can't even begin to imagine like the lawsuits that are going to come and what we're going to see just because of the ignoring of like in basic information and basic facts so right yeah, and you said you had told me that in your research you came up with this number everyone take this all with a grain of salt of course we're not out here as advocates with an activist Axe to grind telling you we've got some definitive hot takes and you, this is the real position you need to have. These are genuine questions and concerns that need to be honored and dignified. That's the point. And, and before turning it over to you, Swole, I just want to say Anne had told me that, yeah, 18 there's like a 13 to 18% uh, detransition rate already and that's just self-report yeah. that's self-reported yeah, there's, that's self-reported there's an organization called GenSpec. I'm having trouble loading their website, but they have two sister organizations. One organization that is called Beyond Trans. That's a platform to help detransitioners. And then another organization, I can't remember the exact name, but it's basically all of this. They've compiled all these studies and statistics into like one resource. And I'm also having trouble pulling that one up right now. So I will fact check this. But when I was initially reading, basically you can click on all these tags like detransition, suicide, hormones, this that the other thing and it just pulls up a list of like studies with research and, and evidence and reports and one when I looked up detransition was like whatever study it was citing had shown that there was a 13% detransition rate and that was just from people who were still reporting so people want to go whoa well the detransition rate it's it's so 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 rare yeah 13% hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on 
Vivala Di Godfrey in the chat says, this caller needs to worry about some real issues. They are abundant. And you need to worry about some real issues. Oh, okay. I'll shut the <laughs> I'll shut up. Thanks. Thank you. I'll be quiet. I should, yeah, you're right. I should focus on some real issues that I do every single day. And I should not worry about the 12 names that I just listed who have all had their boobs cut off, who have, you know, been on irreversible hormones. Like, it is an issue. If you can't see that it's an issue without just saying, oh, we're being transphobic. We're not fucking transphobic. Like, we obviously support and believe that trans people are real and want them to have the support. The issue is when they're, like, impressionable teens who are dealing with mental strife, which, hey, I'm going to speak here as a woman. That's my identity. That's my experience. I was a, I was a, I grew up as an adolescent girl. It was hard. It was hard. The hormones that you have to go through. There were days that I just hated my body and hated my boobs. There were days that, yeah, I felt really sad and depressed. And like therapy or talking it out would have helped me. If after a few years, if I had realized, no, no, I am not a girl. I am not a girl. Then that's where we start to talk about it. But what's happening is these girls are seeing online, oh, there's this community. Oh, my problems might be because of gender dysphoria. And then rather than someone going, okay, so this is something new that you've just found out about in your whole life you haven't felt you're a you're a boy so let's let's talk about it but make any before we make any major decisions that's just that's not happening very often or maybe we can say that the opposite is happening and so that is an issue that is an issue i i'm gonna tell this story to the internet when i was 16 years old i had a whole ass boyfriend and i was delusionally delusionally convinced delusionally convinced that I was going to marry Harry Styles from One Direction. Like, not even like, oh, it's just, I really want to. It wasn't even a fantasy. It was like, uh-uh, no, we're going to meet one day. It's going to be destiny, and I'm going to marry him. He's going to fall in love with me. Girls my age, we were shaving our legs in our other parts before One Direction concerts because we we're like, well, they're obviously going to spot us in the crowd. Now, that that is not to say that, like, some women, like, know what they want, and young girls, like, they know what they want. They know who they are. I'm not bashing that. I think it's actually really funny and I look back at this and I go oh my gosh I li just literally thought I was gonna marry Harry Styles one day like I just I thought or at least we were gonna date or at least that I was gonna meet him that we were gonna fall in love that's just to say that like we we kind of know from looking at history and like social trends of like okay there was like big you know anorexia was a was a trend that a lot of girls caught on to okay like the goth and the scene kids was a trend that a lot of girls caught on to oh being like a big believer in a one directioner was a big trend that a lot of girls brought on to but it wasn't just a trend it was like it kind of became your life and your identity you really just wanted to be accepted and have this community and for me it, it was one direction like i fucking lived on twitter i fucking read and wrote fan fiction like i was i was super into it and this is a pro and this is a bad comparison but if i was like i identify as harry styles wife that is who i am that is who i'm going to be in the future i know it i know it's deep within me and then someone like kidnapped harry styles and like sold him to me as a 15 year old like we wouldn't we wouldn't do that we'd say oh my gosh that's now again gender and my fucking like belief and love of one direction two different things absolutely freaking loopy absolutely i'm not denying that maybe like but this is just to say that teenage girls like yeah it's hard being a girl and it's, it's really easy to just fall into the 
these social trends. And so there are real, real girls and real kids who are transgender and who feel that they're in the wrong body. But right now what we're seeing with, with TikTok and Instagram and Tumblr and these communities and this activism that's pushing that, oh, if you're distressed, oh, if you feel bad about being in your body, it is because of gender dysphoria. And the only solution for that is to affirm and to get you started on medication right away, right away, even though maybe they just discovered what gender dysphoria was two months ago. So that's the issue. The issue is that it's being rushed. So I'm sorry that I care about this. In years to come, we're just going to see more, um, more cases of people regretting it, of people suing their doctors and their clinics for just absolute malpractice and medical negligence of like actually telling them the facts. I mean, there are fucking 18 year old girls now who have like osteoporosis and bladder issues. Even if it's maybe, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe if we only know of five to 10, that's, that's five to 10 too many. No, these, so, stupid, no, these, these stupid fucks are acting and I, I, I'm getting, I'm getting it like a little aggressive here because the, you're being called a sheep right now and, and you're, and they're saying that your opinion doesn't matter. Basically, you know, boobs are not a mere cosmetic feature. We're not talking about a nose job. If you decide in the future, oh my God, I have like this instinct to nurture and care for a baby, which is not necessary for all women. But if that awakens in you, but then you're missing boobs, okay? That's a problem. And also there's health effects from having them taken in the first place. As people who have breast cancer and then have to go through this surgery, learn, right? Um, and Viva, Viva Litida Godfrey or whatever is not trolling. Uh, actually, this, this person has been a good faith uh, comment section contributor for years. And so it's like, or at least a year. And so it's like, uh, whoever this Godfrey character in the chat is saying these things, it's like, no, 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 we're on a nerve right now. They're in a, they're in a hurry to dismiss this as the, 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 the concerns of sheeple. They're in a hurry to dismiss this as not real issues. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not like, I'm, so, we can disagree. We can sit here and disagree about it. But what's making me upset is when people go, oh my gosh, you're just a sheep. You're just a, you're just re repeating right-wing talking points. As if I haven't done my due fucking diligence. As if I'm not using my brain to critical think. I fucking hate controlling conservatives who are transphobic and who are misgendering people. I hate it. You're like- It's fucking stupid, like, yeah. Yeah, as something that no, I'm not. You're ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro and Christopher Knowles are reprehensible creatures, okay? But, but- People conflate us with them if we raise a point like this, or they put, you know, they'll, they'll conflate Zizek with them. Okay, a really quick, Anne, I do want to get uh, back to what you're saying, but I also, uh, Swole's had his hand up for a while, and the reason I brought up the 18% yeah, yeah. detransition rate is, uh, if that's true, you know, we're still, here's the thing, if it's true, if it's not true, uh, then that's something that needs to be worked out, but the point is, is, you can't blame people for caring or being concerned when they're hearing that there's an 18% detransition rate, okay? First of all, but that's self-reported, which means that there's other people who have regrets who haven't come forward in part because of these social pressures to, oh, you would be a lever, you'd be a betrayer, you'd be a this, you'd be a that if you were to, you know, break rank, so to speak. Okay, uh, Swole, yeah, what's up? Yeah, I just want to point out that for a long time, up until like, I don't know, nine months ago, less than a year ago, I was one of these people who fully was fully defensive of the idea of puberty blockers. It's like, yeah, like they're, 
They're, you know, Same. you can give them to kids while they're young and, you know, there's no side effects. It'll just delay, delay, and then just give, a, give them a it's couple of years. It's a pause button. Yeah, it's a pause yeah, it's button. Yeah, pa- it's a pause button. Um, until, um, you know, this is just like I was also, you know, a, a pro-masker, pro-lockdown uh, guy until somebody forced me to look at the evidence, right? And then the same thing happened with um, with uh, Lupron and uh, these purity blockers. There was like three of them. Uh, someone basically just kept challenging me and, and it was like, look it up. And so I looked it up and yeah, like Lupron got, uh, the makers of Lupron got sued for how bad that drug was, uh, like the damage being done to people who were taking it. Um, and like Ann mentioned, osteoporosis. Yeah, that's a big problem. Like bone density, uh, nosedives, and it's basically irreversible, um, at least for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people who take uh, puberty blockers end up with, you know, lower IQs. Um, and the list goes on and, and it's like pretty bad. Like when you read, when you read A, the studies and then B, the anecdotes, um, the stories of people who've gone through it, it's, uh, it's pretty scary. And, you know, there are, but you will, you will. I, I have a friend, say, we have yeah. a friend who detransitioned uh, in the last five years and uh, well, it was a friend. I'm not even friends with this person anymore because the thing is, is when a person gets duped by the cultural corporate left's talking points and takes that shit to heart and then goes deep down the rabbit hole and, and is on, uh, is on all of these hormone therapies and stuff. And then eventually decides, oh, I got duped. The sad thing is they can often go in the opposite direction. And so I'm not really friends with that person anymore because they went into some other, I didn't, it's like, I, I, I have limits. I discovered that I have limits uh, to the kinds of relationships that I'll maintain with people. And it's like, if, if you're, if you're actively hanging out with uh, sketch ass people and, and making excuses for the dumb and reactionary shit they say, then, you know, everyone's got to draw their line somewhere, okay? And the, I, I try to be maximally tolerant and, and think of like a society that allows everyone to be wrong, you know, because people have the freedom to be wrong. But I don't have to maintain relationships with people if I think that they're so far gone or whatever, you know what I mean? But the point is, is I still care about that person's well-being. I still, I still care about that person's freedom. And that person's experience with the the hormone therapy was it is it was extremely expensive first of all that's obviously an issue and so that's a reason that uh, less privileged uh, trans people feel like they're not able to get it in the first place but the more important thing here was that there were side effects there were a lot of side effects and and uh she felt addicted uh in the sense of like well i don't i don't love it anymore i did love the results of the hormones for a while but then I, I, I realized I don't like it anymore, but I, I've, I've stayed on it for a couple of years past the time because the, the, if, I, if I cut myself off from the hormones, well, then, then it's even worse, right? So it's like a, a pharmaceutical, a lifelong pharmaceutical dependency. It's a lifelong pharmaceutical subscription by a capitalist industry. And it's, oh, we can't question that. Oh, we can't question that. We're so radical. We're so radical. We can't question the industry that's involved. We can't we can't question the the Democratic Party and its uh, nonprofit organizations uh, that are totally enmeshed in the corporate and and bank and uh, imperial state art you know infrastructure. We can't we can't question the the assumptions that they take for granted and the scripts that they mindlessly repeat. We can't question those things. We just we're just going to be so anti right that we just dogmatically accept everything that the cultural left says. No, except that that kind of break between actually thinking about issues outside of right brain, left brain thinking, like just looking at issues and, and working through, okay, but what's really here though? Don't take the culture or bait, just what's, what are we dealing with? 
Um, that inability to have that kind of critical thinking or dialogue, that complete breakdown, I do believe has got us to this point where I think the next fucking 10 years is going to be people who are holding this line. Um, oh, puberty blockers, just good. Just good, just good, just good. It's great. It's a great solution for kids. They're going to be, it's good luck. Good luck living that one down. Good luck. Good luck after telling everyone the science is in when there are no long-term studies. Good luck. Yeah. I know some trans people. That's not relevant. What, what are you talking about? It, see, people always make these appeals to personal experience or to, oh, I know some people. They don't agree with this. This wasn't their experience. We're talking about statistics. We're talking about, okay, but at what point is this a valid issue or concern? How many people crying about, like crying about, like I was duped. I was sucked into this industry. I was uh, rushed down this pipeline. I've, I, uh, my body's fucked. I'll never come back from this. Um, how many people uh, who had their trauma, their vulnerability exploited by this industry uh, crying about this to the general public are you going to ignore and say don't matter? Like if it's five people out of thousands, uh, is that is that too many or too few? If it's 50 people out of thousands, is that too many or too few? Where do you draw the line? How do you, these are complicated issues. You can't just make a decision on a gray area based off of some arbitrary statistic. I, 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 the point is, is that it's real, that this is a valid concern. That's, that's what the point is. And so the fact that Zizek brought it up uh, is is a part of like what I'm saying is like a dam breaking. The dam that's breaking is the left has not really known how to talk about this because the activists or the advocates like Vosh who are so loud and have these giant mobs of people who do not think but will just repeat certain talking points and harass people online um, have impeded the conversation and made it so that people aren't really able to think about these things because, oh, that's a right-wing talking point. We just can't talk about it, right? That's the approach. So I said, Vosh, you, are, you spend so much time arguing against talking points that you have lost the ability to think for yourself outside of the constant reduction to that's right-wing or that's transphobic, right? And now I'm going to read the, the rest of this thread of my response to Vosh. I said, I said, the WPATH standards of care have been lowered to unethical standards. And maybe you'll want to talk on this in a second because we should talk about WPATH for at least a minute. Um, but one sec, I'll, I'll read the rest of this. The WPATH standards of care have been lowered to unethical standards and the new definition of affor affirmative care is causing problems. And the rush to put kids on puberty blockers and, and irreversible surgeries has led to misdiagnosed autistic gay children or gay children getting messed up. The medicalization of ego psychology and therapism is a serious issue in practice, political, in practical, political, and theoretical terms. Name calling, or as opposed to actually thinking through the stuff in its complexity, is indicative of what you have devolved to as an influencer. Uh, and then I say, if you cannot tell the difference between transphobia and genuine concern for the ways that medicalization and capitalist commodification of therapism and ego psychology inevitably preys on the traumas and anxieties of vulnerable people, then what good are you serving? And then I followed up that with a bigger statement, which is just like, it is difficult to fathom, but the infantile left has been obstructing any hope for mass change for years now by doubling down on the issue of puberty blockers. If someone wrote this in a sci-fi book 50 years ago, people would have thought that was too on the nose, but this is the unironic situation. Capitulating to this shit, lost Bernie his, slot, his shot in 2020. 
We will never get healthcare or anything from these people. Guys like Vosh sit in their house in the Beverly Hills, harassing and name calling anyone who dares to take seriously real contradictions or excesses, benefiting personally while everyone else has to work longer hours for less pay. We live in a time when aut automation could restructure society to make the worst jobs obsolete, to free up time and energy for everyone. But instead, influencers like, to, like this double down on one dimensional dead ends because it is profitable. This this just about sums up my opinion of what passes itself off as left these days. We need an alternative to the two reactionary sides of this culture war moment. As Slavoj says, I want a third pill. By the way, Andrew, the big Signorelli, welcome there to the chat. I'm just playing. I'm going, uh, we'll open this up to conversation in a sec. I'm finishing out going through the story here. There has been a lot of people, okay, not that many, but a few, and some of them are notable on theorygram um, saying that these kinds of things I'm saying are transphobic or right-wing talking points. And I want to be very clear that trans rights and the existence of trans people are not in any way, shape, or form the same thing or dependent on the medicalization of therapism and, and ego psychology and the replacement or deprioritization of talk therapy and theory used to deconstruct the heterosis normative matrix of intelligibility and its beauty standards and, or its norms for that matter. Okay. And the fact that some people can't tell the difference says everything, everything you need to know about them. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Let's do a quick little recap of where we are so far. I did a little thing to say the For They Don't Know What They Do course has launched. Uh, obviously, we're going to spend the majority of our time and energy thinking about theory and philosophy and not allowing those, especially not the lectures, to divulge into uh, anything that really triggers the culture war frames and kinds of thinking, the left thinking, right thinking kind of brain reductionism that occurs for people. Uh, but you know what, I'll lose my mind if I do not sometimes speak up, speak up about something that's relevant, especially when I'm being called something that I'm not because I'm not transphobic. Um, I mean, by some people's definitions, maybe sure, but not by any reasonable person's definition. Right. Um, I've had plenty of friends who are trans and I know everyone's like, Oh, well, you saying that you have a friend that's not the same thing. Yeah. But it's, I've had enough friends to know that they're all over the ideological political spectrum and that they're not a homogenous group grouping that can be represented by any one spokesperson or script or series of talking points. That's enough for me is to know that there's a bunch of diversity there. Um, and the concern is not, uh, yeah, it, look, liberate yourself as an adult, do whatever the fuck you want as an adult, right? Like this is why people like me were on the side of trans people during the original, uh, uh, controversy over bathrooms, right? Trans people being able to go in the bathroom, right? You should be able to go into the bathroom for the gender that you are expressing yourself as because if you go into the other bathroom, it's going to create a lot more problems for you, right? So there there were things that were easy like that. Uh, but then, then, then people just rolled that right into, oh yeah, but no, seven-year-olds who are anxious or depressed uh, and, and they're seeing a counselor, that counselor 
is within their rights to say, hey, have you ever thought about being in the wrong body? And they start suggesting and then, oh, and then if we, you know, oh, okay, there's, this is a direction we can go in. Uh, and then you find them uh, being put onto blockers and being set up for surgeries that are irreversible, right? And you have your hand up? Yes. So I think because I'm kind of keeping my eye on the, the YouTube chat and I think there's like, there's there's a conversation going on about like talking about your your experience, my, my, my experience in this. And I just want to be clear that I'm not trying to use my experience to say, well, my experience is the universal experience of uh, 14 to 16 year olds who were born in female bodies therefore no what i was what i was trying to do by you know telling a silly story about myself is because what i had said before is that when we look at like social trends and when we look at kind of what tends to happen to adolescent people women or or people born in female bodies what tends to happen to them during adolescence by amen is um like you know they we we have social media now what we see is that you know women tend to be more focused on like relationships and trends and friendships and what's kind of going on socially and so we can we can see like I don't have to pull any evidence right now to know that oh, okay there was a time when anorexia going around on tumblr was a big thing and a lot of a lot it was affecting a lot of young girls thinking oh I'm fat oh I need to start you know cutting calories and trying to be as skinny as possible we can look at you know the tr like other social trends of like oh scene or goth kids you have a lot of kids of both genders like oh radically changing their hair and their style and wearing a lot of makeup cool we can see the social trend of a lot of young girls being really into like fandom culture and fandom identity whether it's Justin Bieber One Direction K-pop and now what we're seeing what the kind of the the social trend of the social media trend is is gender and 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 experimenting with your gender that's super cool I think that is a good thing to be to be critical of okay well just because I have this body doesn't mean I have to like or be one certain way and so that so my experience was just to say yeah I also experienced being like really influenced by by social trends now now what needs to be said is like there are going to be kids who like they truly have gender dysphoria and truly are transgender and truly need help and yeah you know someone in the comments said we we have to talk about like the the suicide risk now obviously we don't quite have like the real studies or the evidence to know suicide rates before versus after transition but hey the fact that there's a group of kids who are feeling something like gender dysphoria or, or self self-identifying as this identity or feeling suicidal okay that's a problem that we as a society have to deal with and that we have to face we also have to just look at like the other kind of facts and and, and whatnot of the situation so like fact there are no long-term studies of what happens with the use of gender or of hormone blockers and cross-sex hormones on people under the age of 18. That's 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 a that's a fact. That is as a fact. There is also a four thousand percent increase in young people majority of them being people born female now feeling some sort of gender dysphoria okay that's something else we need to deal with as and and, and address um we also need to recognize the fact that there are people who transition medically not just socially but medically very very easily while they were in their teenage years who now you know two to five to seven years after that transition 
are realizing, oh, I was the only, the reason I went with this is because it was the social trend and it was because doctors and medical professionals made it so easy. And now I've cut off my breasts, my healthy breasts. Now I have, you know, these permanent bodily changes. That's another fact. We also have to look at the fact that there are people right now who have had these hormones who are thriving, who have never been happier. And so we obviously have to look at all of these things. We just have to look at it, look at it with nuance. And the reason I feel defensive is because when I say, hey, there are these things going on, we need to recognize the the detransitioners because right now this discourse gets shut down. When we're trying to have a talk about it and then someone just, you know, goes, oh, the you're like you're being a sheep your experience is not indicative of jack shit you need to focus on some real issues yeah i am trying to look at real issues from a very nuanced perspective not trying to be super ideological about either and so we just have to like like yeah try look at the the medicalization of it it's not the it's not the trans identity part or the gender experimentation part of it i think that's probably going to be a normal thing in a lot of kids life is is identifying more with one identity or wanting to experiment with something it's the it's this pipeline of like not showing any signs of gender dysphoria ever in their life then all of a sudden around this age from 9 to 17 they they come into counter with this community or this this diagnosis they feel that that applies to them and then the next step is drugs and surgeries and and like very serious things it's not ever okay let's explore this socially or hey let's talk about this because the feelings that you might be feeling about your mod your body could be because you are transgender but they could be due to other issues or other you know social issues going on because it's hard it's hard being a girl a young girl going through puberty and so we just have to look at all this in a nuanced way and to just be shut down by then just to be told that I'm transphobic and that I'm you know not focusing on actual real issues I find that extremely disingenuous like you don't care like you bought into ideology and that you don't want to have a real discussion and so that's all like we're obviously trying to look at this from a very nuanced point and it makes it really hard when people go oh my god you're transphobic no I want these people to like thrive and have the best life possible but I also want to recognize that it's being hyper medicalized in Mm. that kids who it might who this might not apply to some it might some it it will but that it might not apply to are also being pushed down the 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 medical pipeline that's all i feel like we need to we need to clarify what is meant by medicalization of ego psychology and therapism and andrew if you are in the chat still that would be a good time to pop in but i'm going to say something first addressing the addressing the chat and by the way, Andrew, I'm able to make it so that you are seen. Let me make it so that you are here. There we go. Oh, looking fucking beefed out, bro. Looking good. Um, but yeah, I'm going to address something in the chat. So someone said, no denying that trends can influence young people. But if you want deeply, if you want to deeply examine gender, the biggest, most violent, harmful, historic trends enforce traditional roles not gender freedom. Uh, and I said, uh, okay, no denying that trends can influence especially young people, but if you want to examine gender, the biggest, most violent, harmful, historic trends enforce traditional roles, not gender freedom. Right. And I, I almost want to just let you address that as the uh, the woman in this chat. Do you want to say anything about traditional gender roles versus uh, gender freedom? I will not deny that there are people in that in, in various families in various communities in various schools that are being pushed and told if you're a woman, this is your role. And if you were a man, this is your role. 
But I also feel like we're a bit past that now. I mean, obviously it still happens, but I I know so like all my girlfriends are living their best lives, child free, going into science, going into medicine, wearing whatever clothes they want. And so like like yes, I'm I think that, you know, growing up in just our wet society with the media and everything, there can be be this pressure, especially like for young girls, to feel, oh, I have to look a certain way. Oh, I have to be a certain way. Oh, my breasts and my body need to be a certain way. Oh, I'm going to be sexualized one day against my will, against my consent. Happened to me? Like, absolutely. It's 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 hard and it's hard to like come to come into come into being as an adult and, and into like a post-pubescent body. Like it sucks. There's a lot of hormones and there's a lot going on there. I just in like in my experience and what I see, I I think there's such a cultural push for equality and for feminism and for and for yes, girls are not just this this object that has to be a certain thing, and guys are not just this certain object that has to be a certain thing. Like I think it's I think I I personally think that we're a little bit past like oh people are confined to such strict generals, and the only way to break that is to you know like change your gender. Now I'm not saying that's what happens in every case, but so. There's that on the one hand, but then we also have to recognize like how many people are on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter right now. And what happens on those platforms is it kind of recognizes your demographic, it recognizes your interests, and then it creates an algorithm that just gives you basically the same types of videos. And so for a lot of people who are in this demographic of maybe they're feeling some sort of societal pressure for what they have to be, what a woman or a man is supposed to look like, maybe they're feeling distressed, they're not feeling good in their body, maybe they have um, their, they identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, the algorithm is giving them videos that are within that community. And so that's going to be a lot of videos about gender and transgender identities. And that, so, so we also see that that is also being kind of heavily pushed in, in kind of the current trend right now of you don't even have to be the gender that you were, or the, you know, the gender that you were assigned at birth. And so we have to look at both ways and that there's influence coming from both sides. I personally didn't feel like in my life, I was ever pushed that I have, because I am a woman, I have to be a certain way. You know, I, I have the ability to pursue whatever I want. I have the ability, I don't, you know, there are days that I just want to wear boyish clothes. There are days that I just want to like not even feel like my gender. There are just days that I like, I hate my boots. I go, oh my God, I hate having these on me. They're just, oh, they're so annoying. Or, oh, they're super like, I'm wearing the shirt and they're exposed and someone's going to look at them the wrong way and it's going to make me feel weird. Like, it's just very nuanced, like this, this gender thing. And what I feel like from my perspective is happening right now is that people are being reduced to their, their gender and that and I like from my perspective it, it almost feels like gender roles are being reified by saying oh well if you're a woman if you were born as a woman and you're challenging the gender roles and you don't identify with it even like oh then you're just not a woman because the women can't identify with the boys and be a tomboy anymore oh no it just means that you're a man Oh, and if you're a guy and you really like wearing dresses and makeup, oh, it's not okay for you to be a guy who does that anymore. You're just, you're just the opposite sex and now you need to medicalize it. 
And so like what it feels like is we're, we're almost focusing like too much on gender right now. And everything is about like how, like you're so much more than that. And your personality and your preferences like aren't just about like the, the gender, or the sex that you were assigned or that you identify with. It's like, we're all very unique individuals. So like that is probably going to get called transphobic, whatever. But that's just like my response to that is that there's nuance and we see both. I think we see both right now. And to deny that social media is like pushing, pushing like transgenderism or showing a lot of it to a young audience. We just can't deny that. That's all. Thank you. Uh, the other part of that was just to say that in in vis-a-vis in, in, -vis the whole thing about tradition, traditional gender roles being harmful. Um, I, I, I would not say that all women have felt oppressed because they were mothers, but it is oppressive for evangelical fundamentalist Christian dipshits to say that a woman's sole occupation or calling is to be a mother, right? And so obviously that's harmful and limiting on freedom. Um, but evangelical, okay, impregnating you and, 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 and wifing and impregnating a, a woman uh, before she's really gotten to experience life, right? And make decisions about who she wants to be or what she wants to do. That's pretty bad, but they still get to have their boobs, okay? I don't know. It's just, to me, it's like, oh, you're using one bad thing to justify another thing. And it's like, Look, if, a, if an adult says, I fucking hate these boobs, I'm going to get rid of them. And I can totally see myself doing that if the rules were reversed. I could totally see myself being like, I am so fucking sick and tired of the male gaze. And I don't feel like these are anything important about me or my future. And in fact, they're limited. And if they knew that for years, if that had been a feeling for so long that they couldn't help it anymore. Right. I just wanted to add. Yeah, but and, and but that's different from suggesting to a child that this is a solution to their anxiety. And now that's where we come to medicalization, ego psychology, and therapism. So let's say a few things about what it means to medicalize ego psychology and therapism. Andrew, you're a resident expert here. What are you thinking? Well, so we got to distinguish between ego psychology, which is a form of psychoanalysis, a school of, of branch of psychoanalysis that uh, Lacan was critiquing. And I wouldn't say it really exists as much as it was predominating in France back then, but we could see a sort of misrecognized form in the way that behaviorism like CBT and DBT operate, pretty much making categorizations off of different clusters of personality. It's like you got um, like the A cluster, B cluster, C cluster. Now, I don't know the specificities of all that, but there are different ways to diagnose you. And it's interesting about this because when we're talking about these discourses of, of gender and the over-mystification of it on the left and this refusal to speak, we're not talking about liberals. We're talking about full-blown Marxists, full-blown Deleuzians, and Foucauldians. And what's interesting about the Deleuzians and Foucauldians is that their critiques of psychiatry and the institution uh, of these fields have captured the schizophrenics, the, the people that are mad, and those that uh, don't adhere to the sort of norms, uh, like the, the heteronormativity, and they're becoming medicalized and marginalized. So that's pretty much the whole project, especially Foucault, right? And it's so ironic that they want to uphold this discourse about, oh, uh, we're anti-psychiatry, we're anti-psychoanalysis because it's fascist, but everything's okay to talk about uh, gender dysphoria and, um, you know, transgenderism as this sort of, you know, uh, abstract category that somehow, even though it's being captured by the medical institution, escapes their discourse. So they're working in a sense of irony, which they can't even see because it's like, oh, we could critique the institutions, uh, but we won't recognize that uh, gender dysphoria has become a category in the DSM-5 and it now has become a dominant knowledge power discourse 
uh, exercised by these power relations called the medical oh, institution. Shit. That's oh, the main shit. thing. And it operates in what we call ego psychology or really behaviorism because it's like, oh, uh, the way you're feeling and thinking, um, you know, it doesn't align with how you actually are. Oh, you're having, a, you know, radical skepticism uh, or these feelings of not being connected or attached to your body. Hysterics feel like that in the psychoanalytic sense. Um, and a lot of uh, conversion, which what that means like in hysteria is that like certain unconscious symptoms escape, uh, you know, formation. And so they um, manifest as like bodily physical symptoms, like constant flu um, or like, I don't know, seizures, insomnia, et cetera. And they mainly happen with women, not to say all women are hysterics, but for the majority this happens, but they tend to question their own sexuality, but they never reach, not a lot of them reach the point to saying that they feel transgender. But we could see is sort of general hysteria and conversion in a lot of people. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to end up being uh, transgender or there are this different uh, gender role that they're not conforming to uh, by society standards and they need to swap. And I think what the DSM-5 and therapism and medicalization has, is doing is using the, uh, the weapon of the DSM-5 as diagnosing these people that are suffering from regular human conditions, the, the, the challenges that happen by trying to be in your own body, which we can never do, but we try to, um, whether you are transgender or whether you're a uh, you know, cis man or cis woman. But we all suffer from trying to adapt to our body because our bodies are always changing. And with that, they end up using these things like, you know, psychiatry does with medication, like, oh, you're depressed. Here's some here's some uh, serotonin uh, inhibitors or, or, or boosters. Right. And it's like, no, like I literally don't feel fulfilled in my life. You know, I feel like I'm stagnant. Oh, here's some medication. Oh, you don't feel connected to your body. You don't feel like you're this person. You're alienated from your whole family dude, and your peers. Dude, here's, it's, here's that. it's like it's like saying, oh, you don't you're having trouble in your in your marriage. Just do MDMA every week together. That'll help you love each other, right? Like what if our marriage has real issues and we actually have to work through those issues and doing Molly isn't going to do anything but sweep those real issues under the rug and help us, you know, hijack our brains into feeling temporarily okay, right? So this this is the medicalization. Uh, that would be the, that would that's an extreme example. That would be the medicalization of, uh, dysfunction in relationships as opposed to talk therapy. And so the thing I want to say about ego psychology though, is that you just said it's a branch of psychoanalysis, blah, 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 blah. I want to say I'm using it in a broader sense to say, right. That, and yeah, you can use it. You can see it how it is now with a uh, behaviorism, the fundamental, even outside of that, there are fundamental assumptions that normies operate with and normies fill these nonprofit organizations. It fills all these advocacy orgs. And so the, what, what is the normal assumptions that people have? It is that there is a real you deep down below that has to be brought out so it can be its full self. And this is where the just be yourself idea comes from. This is where people think, oh, I wasn't being myself. Oh, I've got to be myself. I got to find myself. And, and, and so then in that case, psychoanalysis or any other kind of talk therapy that takes these assumptions to heart is going to say that the solution to your problems is that you are not integrated with yourself in this one-to-one -one relation 
right? And so obviously the medicalization of that split in well, and the, the point of Lacanian psychoanalysis is that the split is inherent to all of us, that there is no one-to-one correlation between you, yourself, and its ego and your actual subjectivity, that these things are different and that they're, they cannot be conflated without problems and that this whole totally actualized um, ideal ego image is a fantasy and uh, it's traumatic to realize that it's out of reach and that it's impossible and that it's riddled with or covering over contradictions. Um, but that, you know, talk therapy is supposed to be one way of coming to terms with that, right? Well, therapism as an ideology, which you can read about in One Nation Under Therapy or Therapy Culture by uh, Ferretti, Frank Ferretti, um, therapism is the pathologization of everyday life, the turning difficult situations into traumas, like interpreting them as traumas, and then using hypersensitivity and cloistering, protecting, isolating people from difficulties and, and, and medicalizing those. Like that's, that's the, 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 that's the therapism angle. So you have ego psychology here, then you have therapism over here, and then you have the medicalization of those things. Because so far, you could have ego psychology and you're just going through therapy, through talk therapy. Then you could have therapism and you're just going through talk therapy. And they're fucking you up. They're fucking you up. But, you know, there could be some good that comes from that. But the medicalization of it is to say the pharmaceutical companies and the psychiatry industry intervene and displace the talk therapy and displace critical theory, right? Because gender theory is... The, I mean, theory is the proper domain of gender theory. But now people go, oh, there's a definition in the DSM-5 and we're just going to go with that. And so if you meet this definition, then we're going to have to put you on these drugs and we're going to have to put you through these surgeries. And that's a different thing altogether, right? That's the, that's, yeah, there's I, I like that. And, yeah. and, and uh, you, we could see therapism as an ideology and the medicalization of it, just like in the way uh, Dr. Uh, Adolf Reed Jr. talks about how, uh, you know, different ideologies act as a sort of, uh, what does he call it? a genius, uh, a species of different narratives that aren't the reproduction of, or like aren't, you know, pretty much the cause of capitalism, right? But they operate within capitalism, right? To, to kind of mask over the complex contradictions and antagonisms. And when you pretty much label somebody's pathology or everyday condition, that's not necessarily a pathology, but it becomes patho- pathologized um, in a way that makes them think, oh, it's all about me or just the fact that, uh, you know, I'm in always uh, toxic relationships and not the fact that, oh, there is a a relationship between my human suffering and me trying to cope with uh, shitty social construct or social uh, motor, uh, economic motor production that doesn't allow me to cope correctly or to grow. And we could even use like uh, Christopher Lash's like how there, there's no nurturing in in the the way labor production works. There, there are no um, modes of labor or institutions that allow for us to expand our human capacity to love or to be together and to create mm-hmm. uh, fruitful relationships. So we become atomized by these things. And once mm-hmm. we're atomized, then we take these as dogma. It's like, oh, don't talk about my uh, you know mental health. You're criticizing it. You're invalidating me. Oh, you have a, a, a niche or nuanced take on gender theory you're triggering me you're transphobic you're a fascist because i went through this process so that's also the symptom of these uh species of of narratives that are ideological thank you everybody 
for participating in the live chat. Andrew, I'm really happy you made it because your insight into all of this stuff is really important. I want everyone to know that the big Signorelli is also the Master Signified Bodies on Instagram and one half of KVOI, which is a channel on YouTube. And maybe, uh, Andrew, you could share a link in the live chat. Uh, but the other thing is that Kvoy is the other half of the Young Zizekians. And so uh, we're about to go have a conversation with a prominent Zizekian that will be published to the Kvoy channel in the very near future. So that's something to be excited about, everybody. This was the Week in Review stream. I was going to read from Slavoj Zizek's For They Don't Know What They Do and do an exegetical reading of it. Uh, but I felt like, look, this issue is one of those issues where as soon as you start talking about it, people put words in your mouth and conflate you with reprehensible characters who are saying things that you're not saying. And uh, Callie said, Tomboys, fanboys, and NBs still got left out of many mainstream discussions of this topic, as well as the significant percentage of trans people who want only partial or no medical transition at all. Uh-huh. The point... Nothing. We're past that conversation though. Look, people who want to identify any way that they want can identify any way that they want. That is not what's on issue here. What's on issue here is uh, self-ID, having the power to move you from one prison to another. Self-ID, having the power to put a susceptible kid on track for irreversible changes that are in most cases being rationalized and uh, defended by people who are projecting their own adult experiences onto children. And then the complete inability to think about the role that industry, commodification, etc., plays in all of this. And so uh, that's that's the main point. I'm happy that Anne and Andrew were both able to, and Swill, were able to all give their, um, share their knowledge and concerns uh, there's obviously room here for people who would disagree with us, but there's a type of person who can't disagree with us without calling us names for expressing valid concerns that we expect any rational parent or human citizen really with, uh, with values uh, or concern for other people outside of pure ideology would take seriously. And the conflation of Zizek with, with actual like transphobes is ludicrous and uh, indicative of the lows that this discourse has reached. And I said it before and I'll say it again, the reason, part of the reason that it has reached these lows is because people are scared. People are scared of Thought Slime's audience. People are scared of Vosh's audience. Those are the two different sides of the left tube, bread tube world. And they get so much money, so much money and support uh, from people who just want their biases confirmed. And they're willing to disagree. They're willing to debate only people who will make them look good, right? They'll bring on any idiot who doesn't know what they're talking about. And they usually go to bringing on extreme, I'm talking about debate streamers mainly, but they'll bring on like edgelords from the extreme right, but they won't bring on, uh, like me, I tried to debate Vosh back in uh, 2020. Uh, I tried multiple times. He didn't want to bring me on. Uh, probably because I have a master's degree in theory and he doesn't know what he's talking about most of the time. Uh, but yeah, I hope that anybody from his audience who watches this uh, can start to see that he is uh, financially motivated and uh, obviously he gets a lot of support for his uh, particularly black and white, overly simplistic, reductive and harmful approach to these issues. And yeah, I'm not going to make a career 
for myself out of speaking out on these issues. That's why this is in a week in review section of the content that we do on this channel where most of it is related to books. Most of it is related to saying, we don't know the solutions to things. We want people to think for themselves. And uh, I felt like it was because this was on Instagram, because this was on Twitter, because this was being shared around on the internet and people were talking about it, let's just address it head on so that people who are getting involved over time uh, know full full well that this kind of uh, perspective or acknowledgement of certain fundamental and real concerns and issues is represented here. And it's okay to uh, not tow the left progressive PMC scripts on these issues. It's okay not to. uh, And we're not going to call you a right winger because we're not right wingers. And uh, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. So no, not my boy Vosh says Black Black Gvard. Uh, Black Gvard, I used to like him. There was a time when I did. Uh, but I'm sorry, he he had his opportunity. I mean, I just I, I I'm sorry. I don't think I don't think he's capable of getting critical distance from his position. I don't think that he. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would even try to have a real conversation with him at this point because I've tried to. And the fact that he brings on any doofus, but he wouldn't let me come on to have a real conversation, um, when I wanted to has left me in the position where I'm like, well, probably not then. Uh, but especially when it comes to his name calling and, and leading harassment against people who are unfairly being called TERFs, uh, cause you know, TERFs exist and they, they suck, but that there are people unfairly being called TERFs and just generally the entire approach, I'll bring it back around to this. We're at a time when automation could reduce the amount of necessary labor that everyone has to participate in and abolish most shitty jobs. We're at a time when that kind of mass restructuring of society is possible, more possible than it's ever been in the past. And instead, what we have is this kind of uh, dogmatic clinging on to the kinds of talking points being pumped out by advocacy groups and this industry that has medicalized therapism and ego psychology. So, you know, that's that's where we're at. And what, what what's the problem with pumping out those scripts and talking points and making that the, the thing that we're supposed to focus on? The point is, is that it's going to take most people not being against that restructuring for it to actually work, which would mean that there would have to be a lot of room for ideological uh, diversity and genuine disagreements that come from fundamental uh, priorities concerning values, meaning that the values that you prioritize will change the issues and ways that you interpret things and or the, the issues you focus on and the way you, inter- you interpret things. And the, without the, a broad spectrum of ideological diversity and a basic kind of tolerance, then there will be no radical restructuring, no radical transformation of society. So all of this, oh, I'm a leftist, I'm a leftist, I'm a leftist. Oh, we want radical change, we want radical transformation. Oh, okay, then why do you keep harassing people and name-calling people who disagree with you on issues that it's obvious a very commonsensical working-class person could disagree with you on? People have the right to be wrong, and you might be wrong too. I might be wrong as well, right? Like that's, without that basic attitude when it comes to most culture war issues, how do you expect to get any kind of broad consensus or serious transformation of society? Uh, I don't see it. I don't see it as possible in the current situation, which is why I say we have to develop ourselves. We have to think, we have to learn. And for me, it's giving up on these predetermined marketing demographics. One of them today is called the left. It's a marketing demographic. It's an identity that you're sold by a boutique shop, right? 
uh, a digital shop is selling you this commodity called, oh, you're a leftist now. If you want to say, well, I'm a real leftist, I'm blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Cool. Good luck. Point being, we're talking about broad transformation of society. And if that's what left means to you, then cool. But what I see is people getting stuck on these, these scripts and unable to actually look at the evidence saying, oh, the science is in, the data is in, but then not looking at it. And uh, it just makes me go, we're fucked, right? But I'm not completely black-pilled, and that's why Theory Underground exists. Because what we need is to raise the intellectual climate of the United States. And I'm focused on the United States because that's where I'm from. And it's also where the center of gravity and power in the world currently is. And people say, oh, well, you know, that's why the solutions can't come from there. Oh yeah, gonna give up? Okay, fine, go on, give up. But I'm gonna try my best to raise the intellectual climate in the United States by making a space where people are able to have a diversity of ideological perspectives um, if what they prioritize, if what they are primarily concerned with is the development of themselves, of their ability to understand the world and themselves, to live an examined life, not just so that we can be philosophically nuanced and that's the end of things. But because without that as the precondition, the next generation, the one that's really going to change things after some of this stuff has kind of gotten settled, um, that next generation is fucked if we don't make concepts and thinking and actual discussions possible. And if we don't have access to real lectures where people actually say, oh, you know what? I'm going to unpack this for you, right? Which is why I put out my in defense of lectures blog post on theoryunderground.com in the publications tab if you go look at that. Uh, but this is why we're doing this for they know not what they do course. Uh, and Slavoj Žižek's theory is more important now than ever. Uh, the point is not just to critique at the level of meaning and the level of you know explicit versus implicit meaning, um, but also to understand the way that ideology functions at the level of the real, at the level of drive, at the level of jouissance. And so what would it mean to apply this uh, level of, or this kind of ideology critique to this, this approach that says, we want to be the change and we want to make all this broad restructuring of society and we want, we want, we want, but then constantly focusing on things that are dead ends, that are not winning issues, that are not going to be looked on favorably by people in the future. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's almost like this is the death drive of the left, as some people have said. It's almost like, uh, some people's enjoyment comes from undermining the possibilities of radical and mass transformation of society, while at the same time saying this is what we want, right? So I would prefer not to. And that's, the, that's what I have to say about all that. I'm going to close this out in a second here because I have to go get ready for that interview that will be published on Caveway Channel soon, okay? But uh, thank you all for getting in here. Sec Secret Asian Dan in the chat said, all y'all in the Imperial Corps, enjoy yourselves. You can't do nothing. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, I guess we're just labor aristocracy. Fuck it. Fuck it, right? There's nothing we can do. I mean, obviously, if you believe that, then leaning into these dead ends and, and polarizing things harder and just causing havoc, yeah, could be seen as some way of doing, like, what? It's the, the digital equivalent of throwing a brick through a window, I guess. But uh, anybody who's ever thought structurally knows that that brick being thrown through the window is already included in the entire... Th that's a form of inherent transgression, as we say. And if you don't know about inherent transgression, you need to watch the Zizek 101 playlist on this channel. Because, I mean, that's fundamental. These, these, these are basic, basic things. 
But anyway, everybody, thank you so much for joining. Um, this week, there will be a lecture on Wednesday about the professional managerial class, consciousness and ideology. Uh, of course, uh, I'll be talking about the uh, something. I'll be bringing in Dr. Adolf Reed Jr. and W.E.B. Du Bois and talking about the black PMC, the complexity there of thinking about that because there are people who talk about the PMC from a left standpoint, but they are thinking about racism and, and, and the struggle of black people in America, or they're talking about women and how feminist issues have been sort of institutionally captured by the PMC left. And so th there's various ways that this unfolds and that we want to think about these things. And so the PMC class is ongoing. There's two more weeks left to it, but it's something you can sign up for after the fact. Before they know what the, before they know not what they do course that I was showing a clip of at the beginning of the stream is ongoing and you're welcome to join for that. Uh, just go to Theory Underground for all of that and uh, much love. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're going to be all over the area there hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state. Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding, on the other hand, though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri. And he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to 
provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Boulderillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. and. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over three thousand dollars in donations um and so thank you and uh stay tuned for the app which is on its way there will be a theory underground app so the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that yeah people have read the stuff that you're reading uh that you're bringing into dialogue and so uh for instance the idea of the university by carl jaspers dedicated for him before they don't know what they do dedicated for him and then as people take the course over the years new people will be coming into that forum and so if you get in there early you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves and as new people add into the conversation it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through questions that you had with the first time that you read the text and so i'm really excited for this the reason i've built this website is because i think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors 
If you want to donate, go to dairy-underground.com forward slash support. Thank you.